Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. What's up, Jordan? How's it going? You know, this is our special end-of-year holiday episode. And so, you know, there would be maybe some other podcasts that would take the time to produce a compilation of some of their best moments of the preceding year. Uh, We're way too lazy for that. Not to mention that sort of defeats the purpose of having a podcast because all those episodes of old are available anyway. So what we're going to do is just kind of do our normal thing uh, and maybe broaden it out to to some end of year type perspectives uh, in various topics. But uh, we're going to warm things up here on this year ending holiday season special of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. Uh, Because of the big news that came out last week, Aloha Stadium has suspended operations moving forward. Anything that has not yet been planned as an event is not going to be held at Aloha Stadium. They're going to honor a couple of the previously agreed to contracts. Uh, But that said, it looks like Aloha Stadium is Pauhana for a little while, uh, maybe for the rest of its existence. Uh, But that at least gives us the opportunity to start this show off in our little pregame segment with your favorite personal memory of Aloha Stadium. Now, this could be from any perspective, as a member of the media, as an athlete, as a fan. The only caveat is you have to have been there in person. So what is your favorite personal Aloha Stadium memory? Yeah, you know, I was pretty bummed out when this news came out. Uh, A lot of fun memories at Aloha Stadium. I've I've been pretty fortunate to – I played there. Uh, I've got to coach games there at, at the high school level. I've called games there from a broadcasting standpoint and I've been there, you know, more than a handful of times. It's just, you know, your average fan going there and experiencing some of that. Um, I lost every game I played there or coached there. So those don't count as my favorite memories. There were fun memories, no doubt, but uh, we didn't win anything. So it's kind of hard to, to classify that as my favorite Aloha Stadium memory. Uh, some of the games that we went to, you know, with, with my family over the years were amazing. The Hawaii Purdue 2006 game stands out to me. Uh, but my favorite memory, I, I think, comes from the broadcasting standpoint. Uh, I got the chance to call the seven overtime state high school championship game back in 2017. Uh, Lahaina Luna defeating Konawaina 75-69 in seven overtimes. Like, that'll, that'll never happen again, right? But they've also changed some of the rules that, that kind of dis- dissuade you from, from going for two and, and, or, or kicking the extra point and whatnot going forward. But, but yeah, that, that game was... It was the craziest thing I've ever been a part of. Seven overtimes. It took like six hours. Uh, it was the first game of a triple header. Whose great idea was that? Um, to play all those state championship games at Aloha Stadium. It created one hell of a night that, that ended at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but that, I think that's my favorite memory, just how absurd that marathon of a seven overtime game was. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. You were part of a lot of really good games, even if you didn't win them, right? I mean, the game that ended on the last second double pass play uh, by Kahuku uh, that would have propelled Baldwin to the state championship game. Like, you know, that was a fantastic game, but I can understand why that wouldn't necessarily top your list. Uh, My favorite memory is is more of, of 
sort of a, a just a, a set of childhood recollections uh, because you know so much of my childhood you know being fortunate enough to be able to accompany my dad to games uh, he would basically sit my mom and I in the stands right we had our little season tickets uh, and we were maybe you know we had pretty decent seats we were like you know 25 to 30 rows up close to the 50 yard line and so we kind of loved we, we we loved going to the games and and as a kid I just remember so much of that that was part of my intimate relationship with Aloha Stadium and uh, a couple of uh, nights stood out for sure. 1986, the first ever win over a Big Ten opponent when Hawaii beat Wisconsin. You had 1989, obviously, BYU, the breakthrough victory for Hawaii 56-14. Mark Odom went off. Jamal Farmer went off. It was just uh, such a fun night with Garrett Gabriel at quarterback. Uh, and so many of those games I never actually got to the ending of because I was a little kid. And so as the game went on, it would get kind of late. I would start getting tired. I would start dozing off. So inevitably, my mom would take me out into the parking lot to where we had parked our van, our Volkswagen van. And I would listen to the rest of the game with my dad on the call with back then Rick Langiardi on simulcast TV and radio. And I would just listen to the ends of those games, the conclusions of those games uh, on radio. So it was kind of like, you know, it was twofold. It's a recollection of my time in that atmosphere at Aloha Stadium, which was incomparable back in those 1980s glory days for sure uh and then also a recollection of of my dad being uh, on the call for so many of those glorious nights as well so that would be that would be my perspective let's officially welcome everybody to the show this is our year ender we're going to take next week off and then start things up back in 2021 uh but we are celebrating the end of year edition of the program i think in a pretty appropriate way we're gonna have rob demello khon2 sports director good friend of ours uh, and a guy who is just so immersed in everything hawaii sports from not just the sports that take place within our borders but also any athlete that has ties here i mean nobody really covers that as expansively uh, and as closely as Rob. And so I think his perspective on some of the big news here and, and certainly his perspective on the year that has been in 2020 is going to be valuable. Plus, you know, it's, he's just a good dude and he's had a pretty unique journey to his position uh, as the KHON2 sports director. And, and really kind of when you think about it, he's kind of the king guy right now, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody that, that you can put uh, on the same level as, as Rob, at least under the uh, current iteration of television news. So uh, very much looking forward to talking with our buddy, Robbie D. Yeah, he's the guy now. He's the man. We love Robbie. Uh, he's, he's one of the good guys and a guy who truly, truly loves what he's doing, right? Like he <laughs> yeah, was he born for this. Uh, and and you'll, those who aren't familiar will, will, will instantly pick up on that, I think, with his enthusiasm for the job, for covering Hawaii athletes, for covering the University of Hawaii, uh, all of the above. Nobody puts more time, energy, and and true heart into it, I think, you know, and and, and that, that shines through, and, and he loves telling those stories. So it's always good catching up with him. Yeah, and we will do just that in just a little bit. But first, let's get to it, our game time. And as we sort of alluded to, Aloha means goodbye stadium. The stadium authority for Aloha Stadium last week announced the indefinite suspension of future events citing financial strain due to the pandemic. The decision directly threatens the operational health of the UH football program because a new Aloha Stadium facility is likely not to be built for at least another three years. And remember, that got backed up because of basically a legislative mishap in the language of the bill that postponed what would be the ball rolling in the direction of, of getting that project started. Uh, and so it's a sad state of affairs 
for a state that is oftentimes sad at handling its affairs. <laughs> and unfortunately, it really paints the University of Hawaii into a difficult corner. Uh, because what they're going up against here, Jordan, is the threat of, obviously, with the pandemic, you figure the NCAA is going to relax a lot of their otherwise uh, you know, stringent requirements to maintain Division I status. And one of those requirements is an average of 15,000 fans over the course of two years. Because of the pandemic and no fans allowed, and we're not exactly sure how this thing is going to play out going into next season, you'd imagine the NCAA is going to relax some of that. That said, though, uh, the University of Hawaii is going to be hit hard if and when fans are allowed back because of a lack of revenue if they are forced to play in a facility that isn't as large as Aloha Stadium. Not to mention, I think the big concern on the part of University of Hawaii officials is just the prolonged disconnection with the fans. You start to cultivate right? A, a culture of almost indifference if you are more out of sight, out of mind, or if you are that much more difficult to access from a fan's vantage point. Uh, so your take on what has transpired here with Aloha Stadium, uh, if you want to lay blame at the foot of any branch uh, that is associated with this thing, feel free, uh, but also any other options that you may come up with. Because I know inevitably one of the first things that has been mentioned as far as maybe a contingency plan for UH is War Memorial Stadium on the island of Maui, which does seat roughly 15,000. Yeah, they, obviously this has been a lot to digest for a lot of people, um, in part because it kind of dropped like a hammer, right? We, we knew the stadium wasn't in great shape. We knew that they were kind of putting Band-Aids all over everything and, and spending money and kind of just dumping money into that thing just to keep it viable uh, for the foreseeable future until time came when they actually put the money forth, put the plan together, and they're going to build that new thing there on the Aloha Stadium footprint in Halava. And so there a lot of people to blame, right? up to this point. And, and so I think it's a collective failure that we have gotten to a point in time where the stadium is just deemed, you know, not viable, not safe, condemned, whatever word you want to use. We can't have events in there for the foreseeable future, maybe forever. Uh, and definitely none with people sitting in the stands. Um, and, and, you know, for those uh, lucky of us in the media who have been in that press box with that thing sways and whatnot, it's, it's, you know, it, you can see where we have gotten to this point. So, it is, I think, a very, very real concern for the University of Hawaii. And, and that's a piece of the puzzle, right? Because there's so many other events that go on there. We know that concerts and high school events and graduations, as big a deal as that is here in Hawaii. Um, you know, they, they put on monster trucks. Like anything and everything has been at Aloha Stadium, right, over the years. And so there are a lot of productions that are going to be looking for a new home or without a home for quite a while here until they build the new thing, which is, you know, we all know. They say two, three years. We don't know, right? <laughs> Anybody locally is going to tell you that's, uh, you know, maybe optimistic. And so for the University of Hawaii, that's the, the flagship tenant of that stadium. It is a very real concern, as you pointed out, to kind of expand on what you were mentioning. The disconnect, it's already hard to sort of access, right? Whether it's just getting through traffic to get to Aloha Stadium, whether people want to talk about ticket prices, parking fees, you know, the accessing them via television it is already sort of difficult to be a university of hawaii football fan just to access your team to build a new generation of fans to to have them exposed to a younger generation and so this is just going to make it exponentially harder because we don't know where they're going to be we don't know where to find them at this point and the other thing that comes with that i think is recruiting right how, how do you sell a rec it's already hard as heck 
to recruit kids to the, to the state to play here. You know, we've talked to coaches over the year, Todd Graham, Nick Rolovich has talked about it, right? It takes a, it takes somebody who wants to be in Hawaii really to, to, to sign on and come play here uh, for, for local kids, right. Who, who know this state very well. It is, it is a uphill battle up, upstream battle to, to keep these kids home as they've got, you know, the lures of brand new stadiums and, and locker rooms elsewhere across the country at higher levels of football, bigger conferences. And now you're going to try and ask those kids to stay home and say, Hey, maybe you got to take a flight every week to go play a home game, or you're going to have to play it, you know, the TC chain complex, nothing against those facilities, but it's a bit of a harder sell, right? To convince these recruits to either stay home or come from the mainland. It's going to be tough. And then that leads naturally, okay, all that being said, what is the puzzle, right? What, what's it going to look like? Where are they going to play? Um, and I think logically, a number of people, you and I included, it's like, well, the, the next biggest stadium in the state is in Wailuku, Maui. It's War Memorial Stadium, where the Hula Bowl was held for nearly 10 years, where the University of Hawaii has played a home game. And I think to much success, it was a great crowd. Uh, the team won right in 2001 against Montana. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. So the, the stadium has proven that it is a viable host. Is it up to snuff of what modern Division I stadiums look like, especially as the spending wars go on and, and these facilities get built up at a lot of places outside of Hawaii? No, no, it's old, right? It needs a facelift. Um, it's not ideal, but it's kind of better than anything else we've got in the state. I mean, it's significantly larger than anything else on Oahu outside of Aloha Stadium. There's nothing else on any of the other islands. And so it's a logical fit. Does that make sense? to take a 20-minute flight to play all your home games. We've seen some teams, right, San Diego State this year, Hawaii played them in Los Angeles, basically in Carson, California, because they're building a new stadium there for the Aztecs, and they had to go drive over 100 miles. And so it's kind of similar, right? It's a long bus ride. It's going to take a less amount of time to fly over to Maui. So there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of questions to figure out. Can you build out T.C. Ching on campus there at the University of Hawaii? I don't know. It's going to depend a lot on are we going to have fans in the stands come next fall or is it going to be another, you know, empty stadium type season, which could maybe buy the University of Hawaii some time, even though we'd all like to go back to some normalcy. There are a lot of question marks that came out with some news that kind of seemingly came out of nowhere, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the most unfortunate aspect of it is that it did come out of nowhere that, you know, the University of Hawaii being a state entity itself and a state partner with another state entity, Aloha Stadium, seem to be left out of the loop here on the progression of this decision-making process. Um, and so it wasn't until the 11th hour that the University of Hawaii was notified. And at that point, what do you do? Like, how can you in any way be proactive in trying to come up with a solution if Aloha Stadium was finding itself painted into the corner like that financially and that strapped uh, I think that's one of the most unfortunate parts about this it's just that that typical lack of communication that I think a lot of people has lamented over the years with regard to again these two state entities right and, and that that's nothing new but obviously this is the the critical point in that relationship uh, and so yeah I think everything's on the table 
uh, you talk with University of Hawaii officials and, and they'll tell you, hey, look, all considerations are viable at this point. You mentioned T.C. Ching Field and, and they have some stands there. They'd have to build out some more, but you have sort of surrounding offices. You have surrounding vistas. Maybe you could turn those into these kind of makeshift luxury suites or, or sort of party areas. You have the top deck of the parking structure. Uh, maybe you could put like a tent up there and have kind of like a, a shindig type of thing there. You could also at the same time while having a game on that field, invite fans into the adjacent Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center and they could just have like a viewing party in there on the big screen. I mean, I think you gotta have all kinds of out of the box, even though I hate that cliche type of of considerations here under these circumstances i do think war memorial is a viable option you mentioned that game in 2001 where hawaii beat montana uh, i think they got about 12 and a half thousand people uh, to that game i think the maui fans would be certainly very enthusiastic about wanting to attend those games because of the novelty of it you'd have some fans from oahu that would want to make the trip over you still run into the the danger of uh, alienating some of your uh, traditional season ticket holders if you hold the games uh, in bunches on the neighbor island. So maybe that's something that you want to just do in spots. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's part of it too. Maybe it's not just one place where you play all your home games. You know, maybe it's like a Hawaii State tour type of thing. But yeah, again, it, it's going to take a, a lot of brainstorming. It's going to take quite a bit of think tanking for, I think, the, the viable options to really present themselves. I think everything is on the table. All right, well, we move on to a couple of uh, guys who had some memorable moments in that Aloha Stadium back in their day, Marcus Mariota and Tua Tongo-Vailoa. Uh, there is the possibility, as we record this here on Wednesday of this week, two days away from Christmas, uh, there is still the viable possibility that Marcus Mariota will be the starter for the Raiders when they take on the Dolphins here this Saturday. Marcus Mariota had to jump in for an injured Derek Carr last week played phenomenally well, even though they came up just short uh, in that game. Tua Tonga-Vailoa has now made about a half dozen starts for Miami in his rookie campaign. The two former St. Louis Crusaders. Uh, it's not the first time that you have two quarterbacks from the same high school facing off in the NFL. That said, this is the first time, this is unprecedented for two guys from Hawaii and certainly two players from St. Louis who could be facing off if Marcus is given the vote of confidence as the starter here this weekend. How big is this, in your opinion? Well, I mean, Saturday, right, it's, it's going to shut down Hawaii. Like, everybody's going to be tuned in. I think a lot of people will be tuned in regardless, but especially if it's just because we know two is going to start. But especially if it's Marcus versus Tua in, in – in an NFL game this late in the season, and I know the Raiders kind of played themselves out of the, the playoff conversation the last several weeks, and, and for all of Moriota's heroics on that Thursday night game last week, they couldn't quite pull it out in overtime against the Chargers. But the Dolphins are firmly right on their way to the, the NFL postseason, and, and just the way Tua has come in and kind of taken the reins uh, in his rookie season, the fact that you know, Marcus, and, and he was pretty candid in the postgame press conference for the Raiders talking about, you know, it was, it's been rough the last couple of seasons, right? Losing his job in Tennessee, not being able to, to play out his career with the Titans, the team that drafted him, the team he won a playoff game for on the road. Um, and then, you know, having to battle back and sit and, and battle through injuries and surgeries and then finally getting his shot and then playing as well as he did 
man, I think that made a lot of people happy. I know it brought a big smile to my face just knowing how hard that guy works, how good a dude he is. Um, to see him play that well once again, that, that to get his shot, kind of a clean slate, clean state of mind, uh, and just showing, oh, yeah, as a talented guy. That dude can play yeah. quarterback in the NFL, and he can hurt you in a lot of different ways, whether it's throwing the football, that dime over the top to Waller late in the first half. He was running over guys, running, um, you know, using his legs. Like, it was, it was the full Marcus package, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's a dude. <laughs> he's still a dude, right? And if we, if we get these two guys playing, they're two Hawaii quarterbacks, two quarterbacks of Polynesian descent. Two quarterbacks who went to the same high school, like the St. Louis pipeline is ridiculous, right? We can go through all the guys who are still playing at the collegiate level right now. Chevin Cordero is going to play tomorrow for the University of Hawaii in that New Mexico Bowl. It's, it's storybook stuff, right? And it's the stuff that kids look up to. It's the stuff that a lot of fans are going to tune in. And it's like, look, there's Marcus Mariota and Tua Tango Vailoa lining up opposite each other on opposite sidelines, getting to go out there. Like it, it could come to the point where no matter who's on the field, at every point, it's going to be a St. Louis guy taking the snap the entire game, whether it's the Dolphins on the field, the Raiders on the field. And that is, I mean, it's incredible, absolutely incredible that these two guys might have a chance. And, and we'll see. We'll see Derek Carr, right? He's, he's been practicing in a limited fashion this week. He may get the go, but, you know, who knows how, how healthy his leg is and, and whether or not we see Marcus at all. Even if Carr starts the game, we, we could see, you know, Mariota in there at some point. Yeah, you know, a, a healthy, rested Mariota clearly is a dangerous Mariota, right, from an oppositional standpoint. Uh, he looked Lamar-esque on some of those plays where he took off, leaping into the end zone uh, in, in the vintage Marcus Mariota manner. It was great to see. And, you know, it is impossible to sort of choose your favorite child here in this matchup. But I think if we had to lean one way, it seems as though Marcus would be potentially playing for more than Tua would be, right? Yeah, the Dolphins are, are playoff bound. Tua is the quarterback of the future. He's cemented there. I don't think that there's anything that's going to waver the Miami Dolphins at this point. Uh, I think for Marcus, he's playing for his future. Like if he does give, get granted the start here in this game, he has an opportunity to make a comeback. To, to sort of re-emerge as a starting quarterback in the NFL. So th I think there's a lot more riding potentially on his performance for him individually. The Dolphins have much bigger fish to fry here this season than do the Raiders. Uh, but I think for Marcus individually, if I had to lean one way, I would love for both of them to just play lights out and, and for Marcus to do the same. And I'm not necessarily even sure if the Raiders have to win that game. But if Marcus performs in the same way that he did last week, I think that would bode well, certainly, because we already have talked about the brass for the Las Vegas Raiders uh, already talking so highly about Marcus Mariota. Part of the reason why they paid him that much money to come in as a backup. I think he proved himself to maybe be the best backup quarterback in the NFL last week. When he is healthy, when he is rested, Marcus Mariota is a baller. It was cool enough to have the two former Oregon guys square off, right, with Marcus mm. and Justin Herbert last week. Uh, this is unprecedented from a Hawaii standpoint. We mentioned it's not the first time two quarterbacks from the same high school have faced off. Drew Brees and Nick Foles were both Westlake High School alums out of Austin, and they have faced off uh, in previous seasons. So, But this is still really, really darn cool from the island vantage point for sure. 
All right. And without further ado, there's so many more topics that we want to get to, but we can do so with our guy, Robbie D. Rob DeMello is going to join us as part of our Domino's Hawaii main topping segment of the show. KHON2 sports director, uh, all around good dude. I've worked with him a multitude of years. We worked together at KITV, worked together at KHON, and now he's pretty much running the show, the alpha in that television sports news biz. Uh, and so let's, uh, without further ado, introduce our guy, Robbie D. Rob DeMello joining the program the first time you're a guest on our podcast and i think it's fitting it is the year ender uh we talked about it in your introduction nobody is immersed more in hawaii sports whether it be athletes who are connected to the islands sports that take place in the islands uh than you my man like you're you're kind of the the alpha juggernaut here uh at the moment <laughs> uh, when it comes to hawaii sports and i know you really love receiving those kinds of public compliments yeah yeah it really <laughs> makes me comfortable that's <laughs> <laughs> you know better than anybody. <laughs> How you doing? I mean, this has got to be such a strange year, obviously for everybody, but from your vantage point in the coverage of local sports, um, you know, and the multitude of platforms that you're now uh, trying to deliver sports news via, I mean, how crazy has this 2020 been? It, it, it's been super crazy, but uh, before I even talk about that, I want to say it's a, it's a thrill to be on this podcast. It's no joke. This, you know better than anybody, Kanoa. I am a person of routines, <laughs> and I am a person that does the same thing every week, right? Like I have my little schedule going, and so every Wednesday night, so every Wednesday, I beaky to work. And I beaky home Wednesdays and Thursdays, right? So Mondays and Tuesdays, I drive Wednesdays and Thursdays. I ride, I ride the beaky and every Wednesday night, this is what I listen to on my ride home. And if, you know, if my ride, goes a little quicker than some other days, then I'll just continue to circle around the block to, <laughs> to continue to listen. So, uh, I'm super stoked to be on this podcast. It's literally my weekly listening uh, on my bike ride. So thank you guys for doing what you're doing. And, uh, Super happy to be on it for sure. Well, but, how does it work? Are you going to listen to this episode then? Like, how, how is that well, going to be? Well, yeah. I mean, this week, I guess I'm not <laughs> listening to it because I'm a, I would have already heard it, right? So actually, you've ruined my bike ride. Now Sorry. That I, this, was, this was a bad decision. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, 2020, man, it, it, it's been wild. And, you know, from the aspect of covering Hawaii sports, I mean, obviously, from the start of the pandemic, you know, no one knew what was going on. No one knew how long this was going to be. Was this going to be a few weeks? Was this going to be a few months? And so at the beginning of it was just trying to cover the best you could what is happening to local sports because of this pandemic. I mean, what sports are being canceled? What sports are being postponed? What, what are athletes doing? And, and as time went on, it, it was pretty clear to see that, hey, this isn't going, around, going away anytime soon. And so how do you continue to do this? I can't just do COVID-19 stories every single day of how does it feel to be going through this? How does it, you know, how does this affect your training? What do you, and, and so early, pretty early on, I, I realized that, okay, you know, in order to keep this thing going and keep up any interest in Hawaii sports, we're going to have to kind of change what we're doing. And, and so treat social media, treat the website as, okay, that's where the breaking news goes. That's where when things are developing, uh, we'll put it there. Uh, but, you know, on the daily sportscast, you know, we got to start telling feature stories, human interest stories every single day. And, and don't let the one you did yesterday sound like the one you're doing tomorrow. And, and so, 
that became the, the most difficult part. And through, I want to say six months, right? It, it was seven feature stories a day. And, you know, I, I was working with Ren Clayton in the beginning of the pandemic. He had, you know, since moved back home to Minnesota, brought in Alan Hoshida, uh, who was working in the Tri-Cities in Washington State. And so the hardest part there was Alan is awesome. Um, you know, but he didn't know anybody and <laughs> it's COVID-19. So it's not like he's having an opportunity to meet people. So then it, it was kind of trying to, you know, do the daily stuff while at the same time trying to make sure that he is acclimated to the islands and the Hawaii sports scene without having actually going out to the Hawaii sports scene. So this year uh, has been a tiring one for sure. But with all that being said, you know, I mean, so many people aren't working and so for me to be working, I mean, it would be so difficult to complain about anything that, that I have to do or anything that I had to change over the time. Um, it, it was kind of, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still covering Hawaii sports, which I'm very passionate about, what I love to do. And, uh, you know, it, it's just been a little bit of a change to what I'm accustomed to doing. Yeah, you know, the, the passion is is legit. And, and you know, I have had the privilege of working with you at a couple of different spots, right? KITV and KHON and some other capacities as well. And um, yeah, nobody's as passionate about this thing as as you are. And, you know, very proud of you and, and certainly impressed with, with how you've gone about doing all of this. Uh, and so I know when a major story like the announcement surrounding Aloha Stadium occurred last week, um, as any member of the media would, you would react promptly for sure. But I know that that probably affected you maybe a little bit more profoundly than it would some other people in the media. How did you take that news and, and sort of what did you automatically think of? Because, uh, you know, we all sort of start reflecting on our favorite times at Aloha Stadium or, or what it meant to us. So what, what went through your mind when that happened? Yeah, I mean, outside of covering the story, right, and outside of of kind of just being immersed into the trying to find out everything is possible, trying to get your reactions and all that, for me personally, yeah, it, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget when I first learned that this was happening. Um, you know, it, I, I was talking to a, a couple of my friends about this over the last few days where when I think of Aloha Stadium, and this is going to sound super crazy, it's going to sound, you know, maybe even cliche, but, you know, that place is pretty much my childhood, right? Like when I think of being a kid, for that Aloha Stadium just takes me back there. And, and you know, and not to get too dramatic, but, you know, growing up, I was super hyper and rambunctious, always getting into trouble because I couldn't stay still, right? I was not a bad kid. I wasn't vandalized or anything like that. But, if I saw something, I wanted to climb it. If I, you know, was told I had to be quiet, I wanted to talk. And so, you know, therefore I was always getting into some kind of trouble and, and, and inadvertently pushing my dad's buttons like professionally, right? Like I was the master at just being able to push his buttons. And, you know, truth be told, Saturdays during UH football seasons, the drive that he and I would make to Aloha Stadium uh, we would pick up my my uncle Harvey and my auntie Sissy. Uh, we pick them up in Honolulu. We'd drive to the stadium. We'd have our little potluck with the Chinese food that we picked up every single week. And, uh, you know, we tailgate and then we go to the game, drop them off and drive home. So from those, you know, what, what is that? Like seven hours or whatever it was from driving out to the stadium to getting back home into the house in Kailua. I was not getting into trouble. 
I he and I were, you know, rapping the whole time about UH football, about, you know, there, there was just happiness and joy. And, and it was kind of funny because, you know, the second we got into the house, we'd open the door and then I'd do something, you know, to, to irritate him. And I'd be like, oh, well, that's over, right? No, but, but I mean, in all reality, like UH football was the relationship that my father and I had. And so Aloha Stadium is a very special place to me, man. Like, um, you know, I, I remember the first game that I can remember going to, right? Because I've been going to games since, you know, far before I can actually remember what was going on or understand who was what and, you know, and, and, and the game. Uh, 1988, the game against Iowa. So I was six years old. And uh, that was the very first game, season opener of 88. And that was the first time that I was like, okay, we're going to a UH football game. I'm cheering for UH. This is awesome. And driving home and talking about it. And, and uh, from that moment on, that, you know, my University of Hawaii Athletics for sure was just always a part of my life, but specifically UH football. It's what I always look forward to. And so, I mean, we could sit here for 90 minutes and talk about the great memories and the great moments at Aloha Stadium. But Really, number one, and like I said, what it always goes back to is that it provided me an, uh, a time and a place to like just be chill. And that was hard for me to do as a kid that was, you know, ADHD and super hyper and all this stuff and always getting into trouble. But for whatever reason, when I was at Aloha Stadium watching those UH football games, I was relaxed, I was calm, and I was having the time of my life. And so, uh, that's what Aloha Stadium really means to me, for sure. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a sanctuary, right? It sounds like. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Robbie. It, did you have any inkling that that this news was coming down? I mean, it, it kind of dropped, I think I said earlier, it dropped like a hammer. Like it came out of, we, we knew the, the shape of the stadium wasn't ideal, but for, for it to be this, you know, definite, if you will, did, did you have any inkling? Yeah, I mean, there there were a little bit of rumblings, and, and but then again, it, it's one of those things that this is something that you know it's not a surprise to many people. I mean, I'm sure I, I speak for you, Kano and Jordan, that you know over the years we were learning about how much money it would take to maintain Aloha Stadium and to keep it uh, fit for use for fans, right? And that's the key kind of phrase there is that you know as we saw just a few weeks ago, Aloha Stadium. Uh, the turf, the the locker rooms, the press box. I mean, that, that is suitable. You can play football games there as UH did this season. But we know how much money it was going to take to maintain that stadium as the new Aloha Stadium was being built. And so it wasn't difficult to kind of play it out in your head and being like, okay, if the money's not coming in, um, you know, whether it be from, you know, the state and, and the money that, that the stadium was hoping to get. And then you add to the COVID-19, they're not bringing in events, you're not having ticketed, you know, uh, sporting events or any other kind of, uh, you know, that, that's going to bring a ton of cars paying for parking and, and concessions and all that stuff. Then where is this money going to come from? And eventually that money's not going to be there to do this. And so when I started first hearing the rumblings about like, there's issues here, um, you know, yeah, it, it was like, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. But it also made a lot of sense three years ago that they'd be facing the same problem. But you know, the show went on. So, um, you know, I started hearing some rumblings. But then once it became, you know, kind of final, and you knew this was happening, then it was it was one of those things where it's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And, and, you know, the most interesting aspect of that whole story was you know when the aloha stadium finally came out and made their statement 
uh, it wasn't quite what was expected that they were going to say, and, and, and all of the cards being laid out on the table. And it wasn't for another couple of hours, I, I think it was, that the University of Hawaii made their statement that if you read between the lines, they gave off a little bit more than the Aloha Stadium did in, in kind of putting that nail in the coffin and saying that they were informed that they can't have events moving forward with fans, right? And, and so that kind of threw the, the questions in regards to, okay, so Aloha Stadium is suitable, but not suitable for fans. That is the problem. And so, and as you hear the University of Hawaii Athletic Department still talking today, there's, there's no glimmer of hope. They're not talking about, let's see what happens. Let's see, maybe, you know, I think that it's all dependent on the COVID-19 pandemic. And now if you get into the fall of 2021, and you are still not allowed to have crowds, and you're still not allowed to have ticketed revenue coming in, um, you know, in the form of, of patrons, then I think that Aloha Stadium might be an option for them to continue to play there because you don't have to bring fans in. But the second that those restrictions are lifted and you got and you got to have fans in there, then I think the University of Hawaii and everyone else knows that they're either going to be playing on Maui, they're going to be playing at a remodeled Clarence T.C. Ching Field or, or whatever it is that they have to do moving forward. What's the challenge from a viability standpoint for the program just the from a national standpoint of, of putting their best foot forward and, and how that ties into recruiting and, and kind of the lifeblood of, of any successful, you know, D1 program. You know, it's interesting is when you hear Todd Graham and his coaching staff talk about this subject, you know, I mean, you, you've heard it through this Graham era that, you know, he seems to be a pretty glass half full kind of guy. He's, he's very optimistic about the future of University of Hawaii. And when he talks about this subject, it's kind of the status quo where he's saying like, this is a great opportunity because this is a finality. Everyone that we're recruiting and everyone that, you know, you're, you're trying to bring into the program, you're trying to sell the program to now knows that for sure there is going to be a new stadium built. There's no more of that, you know, Hey, they're, they're in the planning phases or maybe this will happen one day. I mean, there's no way around it. it is this new stadium must be built. And so that's kind of the message that, that this program is giving off where it's like, Hey, you could be a part of something that's new and, and something that's building. And, and, um, and then it all depends too, moving forward. Now that's right now, right? Because everything's still up in the air of who knows what this is going to look like, who knows where they're playing. And, and so once final plans are made and let's say it is Clarence TC Ching field and Maui, right? Let's say they split time between uh, war Memorial stadium and on campus in Manoa and they, and they put the pick into the dirt and they start this process. Then you're able to sell that you're able to sell, you know, the Hawaii's team are going to, you know, different islands to, to, to sell the brand of UH football. You're going to be on campus where it's going to be intimate and, you know, they're going to have X amount of people at these games and it's going to be a lot of fun. And so, they are looking forward to the message that they can give off uh, about University of Hawaii football. And, and I think that, you know, in a way, because of the circumstances, and, and it's pretty easy to explain that, you know, this is out of their control. It's not like this is an on-campus stadium that's going through these issues that they had full control over that, you know, this happened because of them. And so how do you get yourself out of this? How do you paint the picture the way you want to paint it? 
it's pretty easy to explain to people what the situation is and that there is a new stadium coming and do you want to be a part of that new brand and that new look of UH football? Speaking of UH football, I, I did want to ask you because um, the at the time of this recording, Hawaii is preparing to take part in the very aptly 2020 named New Mexico Bowl <laughs> in Frisco, Texas. Uh, but it's a decent matchup, at least on paper, right? UH versus UH, Hawaii versus Houston. You have two quarterbacks statistically in the top 20. You know, Hawaii four and four, Houston three and four, but they had a bunch of uh, games early in their schedule that got canceled due to COVID. Two of their losses were against uh, nationally ranked teams. Uh, so I kind of wanted to just ask you this, because we don't know what the result is going to be, and that's always the, the complication of a podcast like this. How much does a UH win or a loss impact, in your opinion, your perception of this very unusual year one in the Todd Graham era? Yeah, that's interesting. It, it, you know, and it's a question that, that I asked Todd Graham and the players this week uh, you know, in preparing for the bowl game of just how important is a, a, is a win here. And so, you know, to a man, they, they all pretty much said that, that, yeah, that's a win is very big. They don't want to finish the year with a losing season, right? Cause right now they're four and four. If they get this lost and they're four and five and you got to kind of live with that taste in your mouth through the rest of the recruiting period. Cause there are two national letter of intent signing days. They got seven players on the first, which means that, you know, depending on what some of the seniors do, um, you know, maybe you can get 10 more players, uh, maybe 12 uh, for that second recruiting uh, day in February. And so that's very big to them in, in, in trying to get a victory. But most importantly, and, and I think uh, the coaching staff w was a little more adamant about this, and, and you can understand why, was, you know, this New Mexico Bowl in Frisco, Texas is the only nationally televised game on Christmas Eve. Um, you know, in the world of sports. And so anyone who loves sports and whether you love group of five football or not, more than likely you're going to find yourself to this football game. And especially because of the time slot that it's in for the rest of the U S continent. So this is an opportunity for UH football to really have its first, this is who we are. This is the new rainbow warrior football program under Todd Graham, because yes, they've had nationally televised games, but when you look at what time those games were at, they were very late into the night. You know, who knows how many people were watching those games, especially on the East Coast. If this is your first opportunity to show everyone, you know, what you're trying to do. And so for a coaching staff who are still recruiting, this is that lasting image. This is that, okay, we had all these games, you know, and you can sell the fact that no COVID-19 issues, didn't have any canceled games. We handled everything the way we were supposed to handle. We're a disciplined program in that regard. Then you can look at the stats and say, okay, this is what we did good. This is what we, our shortcomings are. But with you, we're hoping that that can improve, right? And, you know, that's so much easier to do if you have a good performance on national television on Christmas Eve. And so, yes, a win is super important. Um, it, it would be victory number 100 for Todd Graham in his uh, coaching career over all the stops that he's been at. Um, but I think more important than the win is just a good brand of football. And let's say that they aren't able to get the victory, but it's an awesome game. Let's say it's a reverse of the 2003 Hawaii Bowl where – there's a ton of scoring, a ton of turnovers, a ton of great plays on both sides of the ball. They go into overtime, and it's just a fun game to watch, and you see good football from both programs. I think that is the most important thing for the University of Hawaii. A win is great, but you just have to show that 
this is a football program coming off of a 10-win season and divisional championship that is still moving in that trajectory and hasn't taken a step back. And I think a, a win definitely does that, but then so does a, a good performance. Aesthetically, it's going to be very uh, fitting, right? Because I, I think from what I understand, Hawaii's wearing green uh, jerseys and Houston's going to wear the red, so it's going to be Christmas yep. colors. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, and again, we're, we're, by the time people listen to this, it might be after that game, but, uh, at the time that we're recording this podcast, uh, these are, are very valid questions and, and, <laughs> uh, we cannot do a podcast at this time of year and maintain our sports genre category listing. If we don't talk about the college football playoff. So I need oh, to gosh. get into that with you because in a big shocking surprise, we have basically the same four teams that we would have had in any other normal year of college football. Bama, Clemson, of course, uh, they're in there because that's the universal mandate of college football. Uh, Notre Dame gets in despite losing in lopsided fashion to Clemson in the ACC championship. Ohio State in despite playing just six total games. Um, it, the, the, the contradiction of how these teams in this very you know, unique, much more subjective version of the playoff selection because of covid um, the contradiction of, all right, well, Ohio State just passes the eye test. You know, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt versus Coastal Carolina, Cincinnati. Like, they didn't play anybody. And it's just like, it's just so inconsistent. But I wanted to, to throw this out there. This is for kind of a forum discussion, Jordan. I want to get your thoughts, too. Did the, did the committee get this final four right, in your opinion? Uh, well, okay, so buckle up your seatbelts because I'm, I'm going to take us on a ride. I, I, I know me and I know that this isn't going to be as simple as yes or no, right? Um, so I'll say this is that the four teams that, that have been picked, like, you know, are they for the best teams in the country? Yeah, I think they are for the best teams in the country. Um, with all that being said, the entire college football playoff just the handling of it with the committee this whole season has just been the biggest debacle dumpster fire I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and, and you know, Kanoa, how I feel about college football and about power five and group of five. And, and, you know, a lot of people ask the question of, Oh, what's going on with UH football? How come Dick Tomey in the eighties could bring in X amount of people. And, and when you, when you throw in all the differences of social media and pay-per-view and all that, those definitely have something to do with it. But really at the end of the day is that it's because in the 1980s and early nineties, the university of Hawaii was as much a part of division one football as everybody else was. Now, were they as good as Alabama and Michigan and Florida State and Nebraska? No, obviously. You watch the games, you know, they're not to that caliber. But BYU, who was in their own conference in 1984, won a national championship, proving that it is possible. It is that if, if the stars are aligned and you have an awesome few recruiting classes and you get some upset victories, but if you do what you are supposed to do on the field, that you can be rewarded by being named the best team in the country. You can go to a big time bowl game and all, the, all this stuff, right? And as the years went on, that just simply went away where you just have the kings of college football, the blue bloods, and, and this is our game. And group of five, like, you guys are cute. You guys do your little things. We'll pay you a million dollars here and there to come to our stadium and play a game. Um, but, you know, outside of that, like, you know, like, let the big boys uh, talk about this when it's time to pick teams that, that are going to play for a national title. That's the difference. That's why the group of five and power five have this big, you know, uh, gap between them. It's because 
that's what they wanted. That's what they forced. And then with this alone just shows you because the fact I don't, Iowa State, what I, I, I don't understand this Iowa State love fest that the committee had all season long. And then, so they lose to Louisiana, right? Who then loses to Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina goes undefeated. Iowa State continues to climb throughout the entire season with, with two losses, right, for most of the year. And Coastal Carolina just kind of cruises, Louisiana cruises. And then anytime that they're asked about like, oh, so, so why is Iowa State ranked sixth and Coastal Carolina ranked 11? Didn't Coastal Carolina beat Louisiana and Louisiana beat Iowa State? And they said like, oh, yeah, but that was week one of the season. <laughs> we all saw since that game, you know, how much these teams, uh, how much Iowa State has improved since then and the victories that they picked up. And it's like, so why play the game? Why do you even play the game if – Six weeks later, you're going to be told like, well, that was week one. It doesn't matter. I mean, like, you know, Iowa State had COVID issues and, you know, it, it, it's craziness. And that just tells you that there's no place for a group of five teams. And I've always been an advocate. And I know that a lot of people don't agree. And maybe as time goes on, maybe people will start agreeing. But, you know, I, I don't see why there's a group of five. I, I really don't I just jump into the FCS at this point. And, and, and it brings the FCS up with the caliber of teams that are joining them, right. With San Diego state and, and the Hawaii's of the world or, you know, the Tulsa's and everyone else, uh, the, the UCFs that have been to big time bowl games in the past that have name brand recognition, but you can play for a national title. There is a tournament, this tournament that's impossible to be held at the college football <laughs> level has been done for a billion years at a different level. Right. And, and so you let the power five do their thing, whatever. And then you just, it makes no sense to me to why do you keep this up? Why do you maintain this, this, I mean, there's no other sport in the world. I can, I mean, I, I don't follow like European soccer. I don't know if it's the same way or whatever, but I don't think so. Right. Because it gets no. reshuffled all the time. And there, there's no sport in the world that, that you can't crown a champion based on what happens it's, on the field. It's a charade, right? It's the only sport yeah. that at the beginning of the season, everyone's not on the same starting line. I mean, even in college basketball, I mean, there's still that spectrum of, haves and have nots in college basketball but at least in theory and for the most part in practice everybody starts on the same starting line if you have a miraculous run and you win your conference tournament and you get an automatic bid you could in theory win a national championship that is not the case in college football it, it, it never really has been and and really I think it was the chasm between the rich and the those who are without has just grown because of what amounts to basically a scam, which was now the yeah. CFP, previously the BCS, and it was just a way for the rich to literally get richer, right? We're going to take the mass amount of the revenue pie because we deserve it, because we're the big-time programs, we're the ones that move the needle, and it just creates this, this chasm between programs that have the ability to do great things and continue to grow and build these super awesome shiny facilities and programs who are struggling to make ends meet. And it just boggles the mind. And I don't know, Jordan and I have talked about it before many times. I'm, I'm like on the June Jones uh, wagon here where I'm like, let's just move the, the group of five over to the spring. We'll just, we'll just, they'll do their own thing at another time of year and just do, you know, and just kind of carve out their own niche as a college football entity. But Jordan, all right, tough question, but fix the college football playoff. Fix it. If you had the power, how do you fix it? Whether it's the format, more teams, what? 
Yeah, it's expansion. It, it, it's it's expansion. It's eight teams. It's an um, automatic bid for the Power Five conferences. That that's how stupid the Power Five is. They created a playoff where one of them at minimum is going to get iced out. Like that's how stupid this whole thing is. Like, oh, we got five conferences, but only four spots, and every year somebody's going to be left out. And you know, we've seen it. Two ACC teams this year, two SEC teams last year. Like, it happens all the time. The Pac-12 is basically, like, the in limbo. Like, they're not even a Power 5 conference uh, the way they're, they're stacking up right now in, in college football. And to kind of backtrack a little bit, I, I was always sort of maybe the romanticist in all of this. I, I was always kind of on the opposite side of the argument as our guy Robbie here. I was always like, you know what? I, there's still – there's going to be a year. There's going to be a year – where Hawaii or a Boise State or somebody's going to go on a magical run like BYU in 84, there's going to be no choice but to let them in. But I, over the years, I'm, I've, I've been hardened. I've been become bitter, uh, and I am fully on board with you guys because there's no chance. They're, like this yeah. year, more than any, has shown that it is, there's just no chance. Like I'm kidding myself if I believe It should have been be, UCF. It should have been yeah, UCF It should have been UCF. It, it, it could have been yeah. – right. and you guys bring up college basketball, like – Gonzaga exists in college basketball because of the structure. Like Gonzaga could never happen in college football. We saw with no, Boise Gen- State. Gonzaga Boise is Boise State. State. They're that, Boise right? State. They're the but same Boise thing. State can never replicate what Gonzaga does no, in no. college football because they would never let them, right? And it, it, it's all perce- – I mean, look at San Jose State this year. If they had Boise State's cachet, they would have been ranked top 20 to start the season. And San Jose State maybe is among the conversation with the Coastals and – and, um, you know, Cincinnati or something like that. But they're, what are they, 24 or something just because they no, they were on nobody's radar. But that's the way it works. If you're not on the radar, you got no chance, even if you run the table and you beat a Boise State. In well, the even when, even when you are on the radar, as you talked about with and then, UCF, exactly. yes, right? Because that was the team. That was the moment. And so Kanoa, like, like Kanoa had mentioned, we worked together for many, many years. We've been talking about this for many, many years. And we're talking about like a playoff and wanting, you know, all this stuff, right? Because we grew up watching – you know, not knowing at the time, group of five football, right? And so, uh, you know, when you look at UCF, that was the team. That was the team that at that point, because they, they go undefeated and then they play Auburn, right? And then so that was the thing is that, oh, it's unfair that they're not in this. And then so the, you know, the, the power five conferences, the committee and everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, beat Auburn. Good luck. <laughs> and then they do. Right. And, and they beat him decisively. And, and so then it's, uh, you know, they claim their national title and it's like, OK, well, then this next season, everybody, you know, almost everybody's coming back. You got Mackenzie Milton at quarterback. I mean, this is going to be a good team again. And they had an awesome recruiting class. So it's like, oh, OK, what's going to happen here? They then went undefeated again, <laughs> was nowhere near sniffing the college football playoff. And then when you look at, you know, Mackenzie Milton gets hurt at the end of that season. And then that then becomes a reason why the UCF shouldn't be playing is because, oh, well, they don't have their quarterback. I mean, how are you going to, how are they going to fare in, in this game? And then they lose to LSU, which ends up the next year being like the greatest team of all time. But then that loss to LSU tumbled UCF down and you can never think of UCF ever again as being a team that should be sniffing the college football playoff. And all it took was that it was almost like when Max Holloway was fighting right his way, trying to get to the featherweight title. And he had more consecutive victories than anyone in UFC history before getting a title shot. And the fear of watching every single one of his fights, once he got to eight wins, nine wins, 10 wins was like, dude, once this guy loses, he's going to tumble and he's going to have no shot at the title. 
And luckily, he was able to win an interim title before that happened, and then it sent him off. But it, that's exactly what happened to UCF, is once they lost, they were done. And you can say that about any other team. Coastal Carolina, next year, if they go undefeated, they're not going to the college football playoff. And then you'd be looking at an 11-0 season followed by a 13-14-0 season. And, and then it, you're just going to have to wait to the next year for them to finally lose and be like, see, told you they didn't belong here. Ugh. Drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to begrudge programs for becoming high-profile programs or even conferences, for that matter, in negotiating large TV deals. Like, hey, more power to them. You know, that's the, the free market. You know, we can talk about capitalism wrapped around amateurism and how much of a contradiction that is, but that's a whole other topic for another day. Uh, but I think the problem is when you create a structure within the sport that is – disproportionately beneficial to the, the people who are already in the advantageous position in terms of money and authority and power. Like that's where you're creating a problem. And that's where it's, it's only going to snowball and become even more and more difficult. And the, again, that difference between haves and have nots is, is just going to become more dramatic over time. You just look at Utah. Okay. Utah, a team that we all grew up being conference members with the University of Hawaii. They're just like Hawaii, right? There's no different. I mean, and you can even go back to Arizona, Arizona State and being the whack, you know, back in the day. And once they're given that opportunity, once the doors open and they, they have that secret passcode at the, at the nightclub and, you know, and they're let into the door and, they, and the door <laughs> shut behind, it's like all of a sudden – Utah, who is just like everybody else, just like Hawaii, just like Boise State, just like San Diego State. But all of a sudden, now, now you can be a national champion in college football. Now you can have a seat at the table. And, and it's just because you're invited to the club. I mean, that is crazy. I mean, that's a crazy thought that this is going on in 2020 America where you're fighting for, you know, civil rights and social justice and equality. But the, you know, arguably the most popular sport in, in, in America in, in regards to college football is everything that goes against what you're fighting in the real world. It's bananas. Well, and look at what the ultimate result is going to be. It's going to be Alabama Clemson number five. And so that's yeah. what college football has created. And maybe it will ultimately be to its detriment because I think over time, if it just kind of keeps happening, it's the same two programs, you know, over and over for the most part, um, you know, I, I, I think you start losing a little bit. I mean, you know, it's college football. It's a, it's a behemoth, but um, I, I don't know if it's doing itself any favors by, by basically, uh, you know, creating a, a structure that, that miniaturizes the spectrum of teams that are relevant. Uh, I think that that could ultimately come back to haunt college football. All right. So we, uh, we fulfilled our requirement of talking about the CFP next LeBron versus Jordan. All right. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> that unfortunately does uh, sort of lead us to uh, the end of this thing. We run out of time, Robbie, we could talk to you forever. Um, I'm worried that you may, uh, spontaneously combust if Marcus and Tua match up uh, this week <laughs> in the NFL. Uh, we hope that you get through that all right um, because we do want to talk to you again. It's, it's always so much fun and, and we just don't have enough time, man. Hey, man, I, I always love talking to you guys. And, and, you know, through the COVID-19 pandemic, obviously there 
horrible circumstances. And one of them is that, you know, we don't get to see our friends, right? We don't get to hang out in person and, and do some of the things. I mean, I'm sure in a normal year, Jordan, we would have crossed paths and you would have done some cover two episodes, uh, you know, during the, during the fall, Kanoa and I, we would have seen each other at UH sporting events. We would have hung out a bunch and uh, you know, just having this though, um, and, and how Zoom's been introduced to our lives and to be able to to have this type of interaction. I mean, I'm super grateful for it. Uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, dude, we, we can talk for hours of, about right. all these things. And uh, let, let's hope for a better 2021. We can do it without the whole podcast thing too. We don't have to record these. We can just, yeah. do these <laughs> and just hang out. I'm that, down, bro. Yeah. I'm if down. You need, if you need longer bike rides, Rob, we can, we can I, I was gonna these say, things out. Because you guys threw a wrench into my bike ride, I, I may just have to call you guys, you know, on my ride home. And so we'll, we'll continue this then. All right. Hey, Robbie, best of the family. Happy holidays. And I'm um, looking forward to seeing you on the other side when we finally turn the page on this uh, blasted 2020 year. Right on, guys. You take care. I love you guys. Take it easy. Happy holidays. Send uh, all my love to the family. All right. All right. Love you too, bro. See you, Robbie. You the man. Suits. All right. Thanks once again to Rob DeMello. We wish him a Merry Christmas. Uh, his family is, is really awesome. And, and uh, we couldn't be uh, more appreciative that he was able to make some time to jump on with us. Time now for our post game. Best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management visit wasteprohawaii.com for services information all right we'll start off with our worst and we'll end with our best because we want to end on a positive note here for our last episode of the year what is your worst jordan yeah my worst uh, pro bowl selections came out yesterday uh and along the defensive line in the afc wasn't deforest buckner and we're biased right the y&i boy punahou graduate oregon star had the huge contract after the trade over from San Francisco, now in Indianapolis, the three guys who made the Pro Bowl at defensive tackle, Calais Campbell, Cam Hayward, Chris Jones of Kansas City. But DeForest Buckner was not one of them. And it is absolutely absurd. Like, there are always yeah. Pro Bowl snubs, right? Every year, there, there's going to be a fan base, or there's going to be a certain, um, you know, player who's going to speak out and say, like, look, man, I deserve to be in there. And sometimes it's like, okay, yeah, we, we, we get it, but who are you going to take out, right? Who are you going to drop off the team? And that's always the conversation. This, to me, is an all-time snub. Like, what is, what is, who are the voters here? I need lists. I need names. Because DeForest Buckner not being on the Pro Bowl team in the AFC is absolutely absurd. He's got more solo tackles than any of the three guys who have been named to the Pro Bowl. 11 more than Chris Jones, who has the most of those three. He's got 11 <laughs> more tackles than the highest solo tackle guy who's made the Pro Bowl. He's got more sacks than everybody who made the Pro Bowl. He's got seven and a half sacks from inside. The only guy who's got more is Aaron Donald over in the NFC. He's got two forced fumbles. Chris Jones has two. Neither of the other two guys have any forced fumbles. He's got 24 quarterback hits, which is 14 more than Calais Campbell, seven more than Cam Hayward, the same number as Chris Jones. And he's got eight tackles for loss. That nearly doubles everybody. He's got almost as much as everybody combined. Like his numbers, like just look at the stats and then you look at the impact, right? What the defense has been with him on the field, the game he missed, and what Indy gave up like it, it's it's absolutely absurd and it's not like he's some unknown commodity he's got this huge rich contract so it's not like people don't know who he is anymore 
I, I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know if it's just because those guys have been around longer and they've got bigger names. They play on glitzier team. I don't know. But this, this I think, is a legit, legit snub. Legit. Yeah, because I don't even care about the stats as much about DeForest Buckner. I think it's more just even passing football fans can see the kind of impact he's had on that defense, right? And even in games where he was there versus games that he wasn't there and how much their defense was impacted by him and, and how much influence he has had in turning that into one of the best defenses, really not just in the AFC, but you could argue uh, in the NFL when they have all their pieces. Like he has been that important to them but I just think generally speaking DeForest Buckner going to Indy turned Indy into a defensive monster that's all you need to know and that should have been enough to get him in all right my worst uh, I'm staying in football but I'm going to college Dabo Sweeney head coach for the Clemson Tigers uh he filled out his final coaches poll ballot and he has been very openly critical about Ohio State not playing enough games maybe they should be left out of the college football playoff of course they did get in um, but Ohio State was 11th in his final coaches poll ballot. And hey, look, I understand the Ohio State thing is is really weird. And, you know, the Big Ten changed its previous rules to allow them to play in the Big Ten championship. And I think there is an argument to be made, especially when you're talking about other teams like Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe they should be given consideration as opposed to Ohio State being given the benefit of the doubt uh, based on this very unique season. But that said, it is also absurd for Dabo Sweeney to put them at number 11th. And he does so because I think we are finding out more and more uh, that he is a silly, petty, self-righteous man, right? Like Dabo Sweeney is absolutely petty and he can't get his Neanderthal-like mind around what is going on this season and how this season has been impacted by something that is a direct threat to public health. And so he calls out Florida State, whose health officials, team health officials, decided that it wasn't a good idea for Florida State to play Clemson. And he calls out Florida State for being scared to play Clemson because he can't not think like a caveman football coach. Everything has to be associated with that. They beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship game, and he has to make a little snide remark about how when Notre Dame beat them, the crowd rushed the field. And how, you know, like he, he just has to almost denigrate Notre Dame for that, for being happy that they beat Clemson early in the season. It's just, he's such a, a, a turnoff for me in such a massive way. And time and time again, I just get disappointed by the way Dabo Sweeney comes across. And the team sort of feeds off of his swagger, right? He gives the team a lot of confidence. But if I'm on that Clemson team, I got to be like, Coach, what are you doing? Why are you giving them more ammunition? Do, they, do we need to fire them up more? Are you going to rank them 11th? He's going to talk about how it's so much easier to prepare for them because there's only six games of tape, right? So it's going to be a much easier prep than the last time they played in the playoff last year. It's like, what are you doing? Shut your mouth. Just get your team ready. Yeah. That's all you got to do. Petty though, that's what it is. It's pettiness. Yeah. You wouldn't give you wouldn't give Kelly Bryant the uh, the championship <laughs> ring because he left, even though he played like a substantial amount of games. Like, c- come on, Dabo. Like, be better than that. If you're gonna be so self righteous and you're gonna Bible thump in the way that you do, then then be righteous. Don't don't be petty. I think that's that's the thing that uh, crisscrosses my perception of Dabo Sweeney. Wow, that was very critical. That's very unholiday season like of me. Let's get to our best and finish on a more positive note. All right, I got, I got you covered on the holiday season. Right, it is a season of giving. Uh, I just wanted to give a shout-out to one of my favorites, Marshawn Lynch, who back in November, around Thanksgiving time, was actually here in Hawaii, right? He's got a lot of aloha for the islands. He was giving out turkeys, 
like roadside, actually across the street from Malala Stadium, if I'm not that's mistaken, right. right? Wasn't he in Halava just just giving out turkeys? Because that's what he does. That's what he yeah. does. He gives back to the community. He is a guy that is unique um, in every sense of the word. Like there's nobody like Marshawn out there. But he's going to do uh, not in Hawaii, but back home near Oakland, East Bay, there in Northern California. He's doing another holiday giveaway this weekend for, for Christmas to a, a, one of the local restaurants he's partnered up with. And he's, he's giving some folks, I think it's Emeryville to be specific there in the Oakland East Bay area, but he just continues to do these kinds of things. And I, I just, I cannot say enough about Marshawn Lynch. He was one heck of a player and we know all the memories he had on the football field. We know his Super Bowl championship there with the Seahawks. We know all the interviews he's given, but at his core, he is like just one of the best dudes like he, he's doing this stuff all the time and, and not doing it for any of the publicity. Um, but I saw that it came across this note that he was doing something this weekend again. And I, I had to give him a little shout out. Yeah, he's the man. I'm in the middle of the street right next to Aloha Stadium, right by Ice Palace uh, at that intersection. And he's walking out in his beast mode basketball shorts and high tops and uh just like dangling turkeys like who's gonna get it like it's just he was amazing he's he's a very likable dude engaging guy uh and you're right he was a great player and it's cool to see him uh using that popularity for some some really good uh positive things as well in the community all right my best major league baseball reclassifying the statistics from the negro leagues to be considered major league stats so they're basically saying you know we've always referred to the negro leagues as another top level brand of baseball but the major leagues are taking that next step and saying hey look we're going to count those stats as major league stats and that means that Artie Wilson yes the dad of former guest on the show my partner for UH basketball telecast and our good friend Artie Wilson his dad officially becomes the last player in major league baseball stats to hit for 400 in a season he did it as a member of the Negro Leagues in 1948 Ted Williams last did it in 1941 and so what we have considered uh, a potential Cooperstown-worthy career that took place in the Negro Leagues, I think is bolstered even more for that kind of consideration because Artie Wilson now in Major League Baseball stats is that guy. It's the first thing I thought of. It's the first thing I thought of when I saw this news last week that they were going to officially recognize, which I think is so long overdue, right? It's so long overdue and is absolutely the right thing to do. Because these, it, the level, you could argue, was higher at the peak of the Negro Leagues than it was over in Major League Baseball. Let's be real about it. And for him to have hit 400, and I think for, for obviously the recognition of like sort of career achievements, single season achievements, get much more of their due now. But also the case for guys like Artie, who should probably be in Cooperstown. That now, right? Their resumes for Hall of Fame enshrinement, I think, just got so much more legitimized. Uh, and I think for for a guy like Artie Wilson, he should be back on the ballot or whatever the process is, Veterans Committee, however it works. Now that we're we're officially saying, right, Major League Baseball is officially saying, like, no, these stats are on par with anything else anybody did from that era. He's got to be in the hall. Yeah, that's terrific. Congratulations to both Arties. Uh, that's, that's really awesome news. A great Christmas present for Artie Wilson and his family. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. That's it for us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, at TalkSports808. Thanks again to Rob DeMello. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everybody. And see you in 2021. Take care, Jordan. Happy holidays.